Welcome to season two, episode 20 of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as the pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And along with me today is my co-host, Patrick Reed. He's a missionary to the Gambia and Africa. We missed him on the podcast last week. Patrick, how are things going? Things are going well. How are you? Ah, wonderful. Working on my tan. It's June, but we've been having sunny summer weather up here in Maryland. And I'm always happier when my arms are brown. So uh, I'm happy. (laughs) I'm easy to please. Joining us today for a second time is Pastor Bill Krupa. Uh, Pastor Krupa, I think you are our first return guest on the podcast. We had you on an episode back in March to talk about education. That was uh, episode nine of this year. Title of that for our listeners, if you want to go back and listen to his testimony, is homeschool, public or private education. If our listeners want to hear your testimony, then go back and listen to that. Anyway, hey, Bill, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me back. Well, that says something about you, right? (laughs) <laughs> we've had a bunch of guests and you're the first return guest. So maybe you failed the first time and we're trying to give yeah. you another chance or, uh, <laughs> or maybe you were just that good. We'll let the, we'll let the listeners decide. Um, last time uh, we recorded together, Patrick was up here with me in Maryland. Now he's with you down there in Florida. I hope you're finding his companionship in ministry as helpful as I did. Oh, yes. It's been a good encouragement to have them here. Yeah, I um, I have a a staff intern this summer, and uh, he doesn't have a long list of things that he's doing, but it's amazing how just a little bit of help goes a long way uh, in the ministry. Perhaps it's that way with everything in life, but I know it makes a big difference for me. Yeah. Well, let's just jump right into today's episode. I've entitled this one, The Rainbow. Is it a stolen symbol? This, of course, is Pride Month for anybody who's had your head in a hole in the ground and don't know that already. Uh, My preference would be to ignore the celebration of Pride Month, to ignore its existence altogether. Um, Free publicity from opposing viewpoints probably builds an even stronger foundation for such things, but I've also noticed over the years that silence, especially on this topic, is often interpreted as assent or even support. So there is that to consider. Already this month, I've blocked and unfollowed various organizations and individuals on various social media platforms due to uh, their rainbow colors on on their social media platform, on their icons and so forth. And I'm not saying that I should do that necessarily. I'm only saying that I have, just admitting the truth here. Uh, When when corporations change their icon to some form of the rainbow, I tend to block them from my newsfeed because I just get tired of seeing it. And it feels like it's always being forced on me and thrown in my face, if you will. Um, So I don't know what you guys, you know, uh, I don't know what your experience is uh, in this category, But why don't we just jump right into the topic of today? Uh, What about the rainbow flag? What about the symbol of the rainbow? For clarity's sake, when you see it, what does it communicate 
to you? What is it a communication of in our culture today? Well, I think uh, I wish I could say that it communicated when I saw the rainbow, uh, when I saw a flag, it was, oh, that's, uh, uh, that's a reminder that God's not going to flood the earth again. Um, But that's not typically what I think of. um, Because usually I, usually, I think the last time I saw one, it was flying outside a coffee shop. I think it was last year during Pride Month. I actually haven't seen any this year so far, except for social media and such. But um, that just told me, well, I don't really want to visit that coffee shop anymore. So (laughs) that's pretty much what it communicated to me. Um, I think uh, if you're a business and you're willing to um, fly a rainbow flag, knowing what it stands for, um, that's just not a business I want to do business with. Um, You know, obviously we have to deal with that in our culture but if you're actively promoting it um that to me is a whole whole nother level um especially coming from a business it's not someone that i'm gonna you know go out and give my money to if i can avoid it so yeah yeah i mean i view it as uh as a symbol of i guess the word is solidarity or a symbol of support or uh maybe not saying you know we we are this but uh you're this and we welcome you and we're happy that you're, you know, that you're this, that seems to be the, the meaning of, of the symbol when it's put out, it seems like more straight people are flying rainbow flags than gay people are flying rainbow flags. Of course, there's more straight people, I'm sure. But um, in any case uh, it it has become increasingly prominent and prevalent over the years. Um, I preached Sunday a message beginning a series on sex, porn, and purity. And in that particular message, uh, I did mention a little bit about homosexuality and one of the ladies, a newer Christian and a newer uh, part of our congregation, as she was walking out, she said, I really appreciated the message today. She said, um, you know, sometimes we think we're, we're showing support for people when we're really not. And I thought that was a a pretty powerful, uh, especially from a young Christian, a pretty powerful way of communicating that when you support someone in something that's not right, you're not actually supporting them. You're actually helping to destroy them. It's like buying a heroin addict, their heroin or something. You know, you're not, you're supporting, you're not supporting them. You're not helping them. Um, Part of the difficulty with all of this right now is we're in a time of, the cancel culture and vocal minority is is so loud and so aggressive that if you dare to be intolerant and not necessarily intolerant so much as not be willing to be openly supportive of anything then at that point you're hateful and so it it turns into this issue of if you dare to actually say anything negative that must mean that you hate whatever it is. And in this case, right. obviously we're talking about homosexuality and, you know, it's, it goes back to that idea of, in my opinion, that we don't, we don't hate the person. I don't think we're, you know, we're, we're praying for their demise and their destruction, but we're, we don't want to see them in their sin. And so it, it's, it is a difficult balance of showing that the sin is wrong, but not, acting, you know, in a superiority fashion and, 
and angry. And I'm not saying that you do that, Pastor Tally, or or Patrick does, but I think that can it can be portrayed inaccurately when when certain groups are so aggressive in the way that they want to force their agenda on everybody else. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that um, you know is prevalent in seems to be in the Christian culture is something that I came across actually this morning, a Facebook post. And um, let me just read you what uh, the original, basically it was a person, a Christian who shared this post from someone who was famous. The person who was famous said, said this statement says, don't call transgender people mentally ill. If you believe a man in the clouds loves you unconditionally, but under certain conditions. And then this Christian shares it and says this, she says, I agree with this. You should not call other people mentally ill. Anyone's medical privacy is not up for debate. Their privacy is not up for your gossip, but also there are no conditions. And then she quotes the Bible and says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And she says, that means everyone, no ifs, ends, or buts. He loves you. I will fight anybody on that. It's like, do you even read the same book? Um, and this seems to be a really prevalent view in even among evangelical Christians, which to me is shocking because uh, one, she just took a scripture and completely uh, misinterpreted what, <laughs> what God's even saying there. Uh, and it, it's, uh, it's just to me so concerning and it's like, I'm always trying to balance. Well, we want to show that we, you know, want to reach uh, these people for Christ. But at the same time, how do we fight against people like this who are teaching, you know, false truths, uh, claiming to be Christian and saying God loves everyone when actually God says he hates people who do this sort of stuff. He hates them. He doesn't love them. Uh, I was just reading a devotion recently from David Platt, who, um, was talking about this subject and said, you know, people try to say that God loves everyone, but actually the Bible speaks contrary to that. God doesn't say God loves everyone. It says that a whole bunch of people are his enemies. Um, that doesn't mean he doesn't have mercy and compassion and isn't trying to reach them. Uh, but that's, that's different. He, they're still under his wrath. Um, and to say that, um, you know, God unconditionally loves everyone is just a complete heresy. Um, it's contrary to what the Bible says. Uh, yes, in one aspect, God does love everyone, um, but not everyone is saved. Some people are still under his wrath. Um, and uh, so it doesn't mean everyone. In fact, the verse, as she quoted, it says that everyone who believes in him shall not perish. There's a. It's obviously conditional right there in the verse she quoted. And yet, she just skipped right over that part and just went to the part that God so loves the world. And so we shouldn't, you know, worry about the fact if people are homosexual or, you know, committing these atrocious sins. What do you all yeah. think about uh, the, the whole Christian um, side of this and, and how should we be dealing with Christians who feel this way? Well, well you've opened a, you know, a, a debate or a discussion that probably deserves its own episode and that is you know the definition of love um which is certainly relevant here because i mean if you google i just did it while you were talking uh gay pride flag you'll see flags that say is the rainbow flag but then it'll say love is love 
right? Um, but right. Paul said in Corinthians that love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love rejoices in the truth. So the concept that uh, a man loving a man uh, erotically is equal to a man loving a woman erotically, it's a pollution of the word love. And I think that's a whole lot of what you got going on with what you described. Uh, you've got this, this uh, uh, conflation might be the right term of doctrinal concepts. So you can talk about unconditional election. That's a biblical concept that you can discuss, but unconditional love, you've just brought up a whole nother topic, right? So they're, they're taking two things and mixing them together um, and, and failing to teach that God hates and that God is full of wrath against not just homosexuality, but against all sin. The Bible still says God is angry with the wicked every day. The only ones he's not angry with are those who are under the blood. That's clear. You know, so it doesn't matter what the, the sin is. He's, uh, he's always displeased and, and he's angry enough to destroy the whole human race over Adam eating a piece of fruit. So, you know, somebody can say, I don't like that. I don't think God's fair, but that's still what the Bible teaches. In a, in a, at its base level, we're talking about even even like that article that Patrick brought up. You're talking about man attempting to justify their sin, justify their their incorrect desires that go against God, and they'll even try to you know it goes into the Bible. I mean, Satan tried that with Jesus, where he tried to use the Bible incorrectly, and Jesus just responded with the correct usage of the Bible. And the difficulty we have is we, we live in this age where people are, it's quicker and easier access to misquote the Bible and make it sound like you, you're right and somebody else is wrong. And nowadays people are so willing to accept anything that appeases them, that pleases them. And so, Hey, I, I like that sound bite that that allows me to do what I want to do. So I'm going to repeat that. I'm going to put it on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and everything else. And then, boy, look at all the there's so many people. There's hundreds of thousands of Christians that are repeating this thing. So it must be true. You know, the, yeah. where there's where there's more people that support the idea, it, it's got to be true. But we got to get back to the what are the absolute truths of the Bible to respond to a lot of these things. And, you know, I think the, the verse says that, you know, few, few that will, that will respond, you know, many, many are on the path of destruction and, and few are on, will be saved. And so part of the issue is going to be getting back to the idea of your, you know, the whole rainbow. And I think Satan's been doing this since, like you just mentioned, since the garden where Satan tricked Eve and then Eve convinced Adam to, to sin against God by eating the fruit. Well, it's, it's twisting what God has said and then using that to cause the, the destruction of man. Right. Well, it's like this, <clears throat> it's like when we, they put out this rainbow flag and they want it celebrated for me as a Christian, that's like, making up some symbol of a flag of celebrating people who murder other people or people who steal from other people, people do 
atrocious crimes because that's the way God views it and where he, you know, if you look at most of the scripture where he talks about homosexuality, it's categorized along with murder and stealing and, you know, other what we would consider pretty uh, terrible sins. And um, so it's like celebrating someone who goes around who murders people or someone who goes around um, just being an awful person because that's how God views it. And that's how we should view it as Christians. And to put that out and say, Oh, you need to be celebrating this too. is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, And it's, uh, I I don't know, to me for a Christian, it's something we shouldn't be tolerating um, at all, even in the least bit, regardless of what the world says. I know, sure. We want to be reaching people for Christ. Um, but we can't be reaching, trying to reach people for Christ by ignoring what the truth is. You know, right. we can't be uh, um, soft on the truth and think that God's going to bless that. And we're going to start winning, you know, homosexuals for uh, with the gospel when we're watering down what it really says. Right. And that's where the rubber meets the road is what does the Bible say? Um, and of course, one of the reasons I don't like dealing with it especially on social media is because I get um, I can't even use the word to describe how, (laughs) how disturbed I get when someone twists the scriptures to try to defend something that is evil. Um, And I've seen them use the passage. It says two men shall be in a bed. One shall be taken the other left as if that excuses homosexuality. Interestingly, that passage is about one man being taken for judgment which is pretty incredible, but uh, never mind, I guess. Or they'll talk about David's love for Jonathan and pretend that that's some kind of erotic uh, connection. And I get so disgusted at that kind of twisting of the scriptures. I just don't want to deal with it. Uh, I feel like I can't have a sane conversation with somebody who's going to that extreme. But there's consistency throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. There are things in the Bible that start out as not acceptable and end up acceptable. We know that. Uh, Not eating meat offered to idols. That's an Old Testament principle still around, apparently, even in the book of Acts. But by the time you get to the epistles, God's grace is broad. And Paul says to Timothy, any animal on the planet, you can eat it with Thanksgiving. You know, so Paul's clearly saying to Timothy, catfish or bacon or blue crabs or whatever else doesn't matter. You thank God for it and eat it. So there are things that God has initially ruled against in in certain contexts and then eventually said, all right, it's no big deal. But in the Bible, the issue of homosexuality, it's it's consistent. Um, And I would encourage our listeners to go to gotquestions.org and uh, in their search box, write, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? There's a very clear and concise article there. It's got some of the texts in Genesis, Leviticus, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 1 Timothy that are just so categorically clear concerning God's consistent position uh, on homosexuality. And uh, anybody who wants to defend it from Scripture, I agree with what you guys are implying. It's 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 satan working through someone to take the truth and call good evil and evil good um so i do want to talk more about the symbol but just i mean look even if you went nowhere but romans chapter one you know 
the, uh, the punishment, if you want to just take it at face value, the punishment and consequence of not wanting to accept the existence and sovereignty of God in any culture, where that culture ends up is in homosexuality. That's what Romans 1 says. That's the thing God turns a society over to. Uh, and there's just nothing positive about it. So in the last podcast, uh, ironically, Amber mentioned the rainbow. And all she mentioned concerning the rainbow was the, the natural or the scientific side of what the rainbow is, right? That uh, white light has all these colors in it, and the white light goes through a prism. And, uh, you know, it's split up into all its pieces. And we have Roy G. Biv. I think they've dropped the, the I in Roy G. Biv uh, since I was in school. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. They skip indigo, I think, now. Um, anyway, someone who's a critic, someone who's cynical, would surely say, the rainbow is not some bow that God put in the cloud, right? It's just light shining through raindrops, you know, that's all there is to it. So let's be very explicit and very clear. What is the rainbow biblically and theologically? And how do we, how do we identify not just the rainbow, but other things that you could say are providential? In other words, God's using some natural phenomenon to communicate some significant spiritual truth. How do we approach that with people who are very naturalistic in their view of everything. I would say, you know, the logical side of things, the natural side of things, the whole concept of homosexuality is illogical because if, if you're going to disregard the Bible and pretend for a moment that there is no God and, you know, things just came about by a progression of evolution and, and such, well, homosexuality would be the end of your species because <laughs> there is no way to produce more offspring. So it, logically speaking, it doesn't make sense. If you just want to go pure science, it doesn't make sense. Right. And, it, it, with, and without going into great, you know, a lot of detail, there's also a lot of physical things as far as diseases and um, impacts on the uh, on the body when you participate in the in homosexual acts that are altering physically altering to your body that you can't come back from right so it sure seems like scientifically regardless of god and with regardless of if you believe there are moral absolutes that god has put in place there's some some problems with the whole idea and so again it it seems using logic that it seems it's just an attempt to be participating in a in a countercultural idea to be rebellious against what society has set forth as a standard right uh follow the science is the it's like the popular thing right now right uh, yeah, and you follow the science. Uh, just being pragmatic, uh, homosexual homosexuality doesn't make any sense. Um, and, and I know it's a little crass, but 
if, if I'm going to build something that requires nuts and bolts and I just go buy a bunch of bolts and no nuts, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm not going to succeed, you know? And I mean, that's science. Science doesn't, what is it? Ben Shapiro says facts don't, don't care about your feelings or whatever. Right. Um, you know, science doesn't have emotion, not if it's true science. Um, so yeah, if, if you try to go the naturalistic way, you ought to end up concluding what we, what we conclude from the scriptures, you know, that this is, this is the way it's supposed to be uh, heterosexual monogamous fidelity is what I preached this past Sunday. Uh, but you pointed out to the, you pointed out the, um, the damage that people do to themselves. And that's, that's Romans one twenty seven. Uh, it says that the, the shameless acts of these men uh, cause them to receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. Um, and it, it seems to be implying exactly what you're talking about, that it's, it's self-destructive. Right. Which is consistent with any sort of abomination or any sort of egregious sin that's listed. You know, you can go through the, all of them have the same end result and that's self-destruction. Right. Um, so my question about the rainbow being just a naturalistic symbol, the same God who created the world knew everything that would ever happen in the world. And so if you believe that it didn't rain until Noah's flood, then you wouldn't have the rainbow showing up in the clouds, right? Until after Noah's flood. But when it showed up, if that's the case, God identifying it as a symbol of his mercy. And I want to be really clear about what the scripture says concerning the rainbow being a symbol of his mercy. Essentially, after the flood, he said, and it's a conversation within the Trinity, apparently, that then is shared with, with Noah and eventually, obviously, passed down and Moses recorded it for us. But God essentially said, I know that man is just dust and man is fallen and man is cursed and man is evil and they're going to end up making a mess again. And so just by virtue of my own character and my own goodness, I'm going to promise never to drown humanity across the face of the globe with a worldwide flood again. I'm just going to promise not to do it, implying humanity will clearly deserve it again <laughs> at some point it's inevitable they're going to deserve it again but i just promise i'm not going to do it and as a as a symbol of that promise i will put my bow in the cloud i will put my rainbow in the cloud and it will be a reminder to me of my promise never to drown the whole planet again you guys agree with that that's what the bible describes yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I'm trying to find the the the, the verses. Um, It'll be like Genesis nine, I think nine or ten. Well, you also mentioned, um, you know, about those who might say the well, the rainbow is just a a natural phenomenon, and it happens, and we can explain it through science. Um, well, that's partially true, but can you explain how the light got there and then how the light started and then how everything, you know, how the earth came to be and 
how rain and water even came about, but, but they can't explain any of those things. They can go, well, those just exist. And because they exist, um, this is a natural phenomenon, but you still can't go back to the beginning and explain how light to begin with, what, what seems like something that is everywhere. Um, you can't even explain where it comes from. Um, you know, it didn't just come out of nothing. Right. Yeah. And, and I think to me, that's where you have to go back to when they start saying, well, it's just a natural thing. Well, you, you still can't explain these natural things that are, that we deal with every day. None of it can be explained when you bring it all the way back to the, the starting point. Yeah. That, that's one of the most convincing realities concerning the existence of a great designer of the universe to me is the idea that light would evolve evolution itself, of course, is incredible to me and, and, and not possible, but the concept that light would evolve and our ability to perceive light would evolve simultaneously in some way is just, I mean, that, that you talking about fairy tales, that's a fairy tale concept uh, right there. So yeah, the fact that we can see the rainbow and, uh, and the beauty of it uh, and its very existence shouts the existence of God, who is our judge. Our maker, he has the right to tell us what to do. Did you find it, Bill? Yeah, you were right. It's it's Genesis 9. The specific verse is um, 15 and 16. Okay. Where it says, I'll, I'll remember my covenant, which is between you and me and every living creature. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Mm. But it's interesting. Like, I've heard people try to use that as an argument. You know, um, they about the whole idea that God loves the world and he's, you know, he's not going to be harsh anymore is what they'll try to say based on that passage. But all that passage really says is he's not going to destroy the world with water. It doesn't say he's not going to destroy the world, just he won't use flood to, to mete out his wrath when it comes time. And so, you know, that again, it's that logic. If, if, and it's not even logic. If you just read what it says, it's very straightforward. Yeah, um, and, and, it, and it's Baptist, interesting. Go ahead, Pastor Tally. When John the Baptist came, he said, when the Messiah comes, he will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You know, you can survive a flood if you got a boat. But if God yeah. floods the <laughs> earth with fire, there ain't going to be nobody surviving. And that right. is the next judgment. You know, the, the flood was a was a restart but when he judges with fire it ain't going to be a restart it's going to be a destruction you know and everyone right. who's left here at that point will be destroyed and it's it's so interesting that god says in that passage that he will remember his covenant uh you know i don't think god needs a reminder yet he chose to give himself a reminder. It doesn't even necessarily say it's a reminder to you. I mean, certainly it is, um, but it specifically says it's a reminder to him, yeah. uh, which is just really baffling to me because obviously God's not going to forget. But many times you see in the, the Bible, it's almost like he does it to reassure us. You know, yeah. it's more of a, I want you to realize I'm not going to forget this. I couldn't possibly forget this, but just want to make sure you know that you know, I'm not going to forget this. So, <laughs> yeah, of course, the word remember is used fairly often in the scriptures, uh, even in prayers. Lord, remember your covenant, you know, Lord, mm -hmm. remember. And I think a lot of times if you look at those texts, 
it's more than just a recollection of facts. It's an application of a promise. When, it, when it's, Lord, remember your covenant, there's an, an ask there to do something in connection with that covenant. And um, so as he remembers his promise, to me, it's as if he's saying, I feel like judging. <laughs> I feel like executing judgment right now. Uh, but I will continue my covenant of grace. I will continue my covenant of mercy. Um, I think that's that's probably a, a good way to describe it, although I certainly can't crawl under the mind of God. Um, go, going back to the title of our podcast, and this is really where I was headed, where I've been headed the whole time. The rainbow is a stolen symbol. Ironically, it seems to me that the use of the rainbow by the LGBT T-Q-I-A, I just saw that yesterday, <laughs> community, oh my, I had to look it up, I didn't know what they're, all the letters were for, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, depending on who's writing it, I guess, intersex and asexual uh, is the I-A, um, but it seems that the use of the rainbow by that community is absolutely appropriate. In other words, I'm postulating that it's not stolen. It's ironically perfect. I don't. I know they don't mean it this way, but when they fly the flag, it's kind of like saying, God should drown the world again because of us, but he promised not to do that. Right. So, Almost like they're thumbing their nose at God. Yeah. So I just shake my head sadly, and, and to be honest with a feeling of exasperation and hopelessness. I have spoken to professed homosexuals about their choice of lifestyle, probably about half a dozen times over the years as a pastor. I can't think of a single time that I've made any headway or made what I would, what I would consider to be any progress. I've had cordial conversations. Um, I've also had some that felt a bit hostile from the perspective of the person talking to me. Of course, when I'm in the pulpit, I've probably been a bit hostile. I admit that I've also had homosexuals sit under my preaching dozens of times and have never seen any positive response from any of them. Never had any converts. If you want to describe it that way. I know there's an organization called love one out. I believe is the name of it. Um, and they have a lot of success stories, but I can't say that I've had any success. I've had friendly conversations with these people, but never any conversions. How about you guys? Any success? I would, off the top of my head, I don't. I've not, I would have to sit there and really count out how many people I've talked to, but I would guess it's you know somewhere between seven and ten people that I've talked with, counseled, however you want to phrase it. But out of all of them, I would say one of them I may have given the person pause to rethink the path that they were heading down. But most of them, what I found is after the conversation I had with them, it seemed like they just made the determination that I, I'm just going to jump in with both feet and go for this. You know, some of them were quest, I guess more in a questioning state about, you know, what do I do with these feelings? And, you know, I find myself attracted to the same sex, but I've been hurt all my life that it's wrong. And, I haven't done anything yet. And, and after discussion, after talking and trying to help them see 
that it is absolutely wrong to participate in it. Most of them, I found out not very long afterwards, were fully participating in that lifestyle. And it is, it's, it's very disheartening. Um, I don't, I, one person, I think it was a very hostile conversation. Like you, like you said, Pastor Tally, and it, um, it wound up with them kind of storming off. I, I think I met, if I remember correctly, it was when I was still living in California and we met at a coffee shop and it was a, someone that I knew through the school that I was working with. And, um, they stormed off pretty angrily saying some things as they departed. And the last I heard about that person is they, they had completely given over to that lifestyle and, um, had even kind of mocked me to other people that we both knew afterwards for my stance. And it, it was, it, it is disheartening. It's, it, it feels like no amount of counsel changes them. Yeah. Um, again, I know anecdotally, I've seen some of the books that are out there of people that have come out of it. And, you know, I, I've seen, even this month, I've seen some Facebook posts of a few people that are very well known for having come out of that lifestyle and work with different groups attempting to pull them out. But the guess, success rate seems to be very small at convincing people to realize that they shouldn't be in that lifestyle. Um, but I don't know that statistically speaking, if, if we were to do the same kind of look at uh, people that participate in drug abuse or right. other sexual sins, you know, not just homosexuality, but any sexual sin, I, I don't know how many of them are come out of it um, yeah. short of true salvation. Right. You know, and obviously that's the one caveat that I, I would always go back to is if if somebody truly gets saved, I, I have the utmost confidence that God would help lead them out of that lifestyle. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's a perfect place for, for me to read first uh, Corinthians six, nine through 11. Paul said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Son of God. So clearly in the church of Corinth, there were people who had been practicing homosexuals, but they got saved and they were delivered. So certainly I believe just from a theological standpoint that uh, there is hope. But when someone starts out in church, starts out under the gospel, starts out in a, in a basic culture of obedience and submission to the scripture, and then deviates from it and chooses this life, man, based upon Hebrews 6 and 10 and several other passages, uh, I just don't have a lot of hope. I got to admit it. Right. Well, that's that's the... Oh, boys, it's either Isaiah or Elijah. I can't remember the specific passage now that talks about uh, it's the analogy of, of a woman 
being spurned, their love being spurned, and it it turns them hateful, turns them angry right. towards the person that they, that they loved originally. And that idea of you were, I think, if you're raised in, in in church, if you're raised in a Christian home, and then you depart and you and you turn your back on what God has said, it seems like you're just given over to your destruction, to your right. <laughs> to your choices, like like Romans says, and and the end result is is egregious hateful attitude towards anything to do with the Bible. Right. I think the thing that bother has bothered me most, and most of the people I've dealt with uh, have been young people. Uh, They've come to me uh, or I've had to go to them in some cases to talk about um, their choices. What bothers me even more emotionally than, than people who are going down that road is people who, claim to be Christians, claim to be Bible believers who defend that lifestyle. Um, I remember one person saying to me, why is it that you always hammer that one issue? Why do you always hit that one issue? You don't pound on every other sin, but you pound on this one sin. And I I would go back to what uh, Patrick said, you know, there are not murderer pride parades you know they don't have big parades for you know the band of thieves of new york uh, i mean they do i'm sure they just call them something else but <laughs> they have gay pride parades right that's the issue of our day at least one of the primary issues of our day so we have to speak to what our culture is defending most loudly and that seems to be the thing i mean good grief we have a whole month set aside you know, to, to celebrate this. So I I feel like I have to speak to it, but the fact that people who claim to be Christians want to defend this lifestyle choice. And and look, I talked to this one individual and I want to be very careful how I say this. Um, The person said to me, because I went through all the biblical passages that I could find concerning this and explained how it's not okay. And I asked, does this make sense? And the person said, yeah, it makes sense. But why do I feel this way? In other words, why am I attracted to people of my own gender? If that's the truth, why am I attracted to people of my own gender? And went out and continued, you know, continued that way, continued that lifestyle of self-destruction. And the prominence of this issue, the, the, the loudness of this issue, it's giving people who, who don't want to submit to God in the first place, it's giving them another option. It's giving them another path. It's giving them another um, thing to be loyal to. And for Christians to defend something that's so clearly contrary to God's design, and it just eats me up. Yeah, and it's, I've heard the, and I'm sure you have, Pastor Talley and I'm sure Patrick has too. You, you hear these people in defending it. They say, "Well, they're not hurting anybody." You know, it's it's only they're it, it's not as bad as. And then they'll list some other, you know, horrific sin that involves hurting other people. But hmm. again, that's illogical because if you, you 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 are participating in it with another person. And so you right. are adding to their, their harm 
but they don't see it that way. Well, if First uh, Corinthians six nine says uh, those who practice homosexuality do not inherit the kingdom of God, then by promoting that or saying that's okay, you're doing more harm to someone than you could possibly imagine. Right, I mean, right. that's that's harm way beyond this lifetime. And so the amount of harm that you're causing it, just as a Christian is causing it, saying, oh, it's okay if you're doing that, you could be condemning that person to eternal destruction. Right. Um, and so I think that's, uh, you know, if you look at where the Apostle Paul, um, I forget where, where he says this, but he, he basically says, God's going to judge those in the world. That's not for me to judge. That's not for me to worry about. In other words, it's not for my job to sit there and try to correct someone who's a homosexual. We got to give them the gospel. God can help deal with them with that. Um, it's not our job to try to correct that. But it is our job to deal with the people who are saved that are defending this behavior or promoting this behavior or are uh, saying this behavior is somehow acceptable or twisting the scriptures to um, uh, somehow make it as though homosexuality is approved by God. Um, that is our job to deal with those people, um, yeah. you know, and uh, if you look at, you know, just I was just talking to a, a friend about this yesterday. You look at how Jesus deals with the sinners versus how he deals with the supposed religious people. You know, he deals with the Pharisees quite harshly, you know, uh, the people who are completely, you know, claim to be followers of God, but are practicing and preaching the wrong thing. Versus those who just don't know any better, he becomes friends with and draws them to himself. So um, to me, it's not our job as Christians to be going after the homosexuals. You know, our job is to give them the gospel. Um, but it is our job to be dealing with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are posting things on Facebook or going around and telling people that, you know, it's OK. It's not a sin. It's not that bad. All, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and twisting the scriptures, those people need to be dealt with and they need to be dealt with harshly um, in a way that, uh, you know, we, we can't tolerate it at all, ever. You know, it can't be something that we're just sit back and go, oh, yeah, that's not our problem. No, it is our problem. <laughs> They're destroying the reputation of the church. Um, and so that's something we need to be you know, diligent about and not just um, lackluster as though it's not a big deal. Just my opinion. Right. But no matter where you fall in how to handle the situation, it's a it's a, it is a very difficult topic to take on. Yeah. Um, and I'm not meaning don't deal with it. I'm meaning, well, how how much do you deal with it? How harshly do you deal with it? You know, do you participate in, in anti-gay pride parades? Um, do you post things on Facebook? that make it very clear do you, you know, it, that's, that's difficult for Christians, but I agree like what you're saying, Pat, Patrick, that dealing with the world, we're supposed to just explain to them that they're a sinner and prove, you know, provide the proof of how to get saved, not um, address the fallacies of their logic of, of sinfulness, because you can't, they can't even understand what's wrong. If they're unsaved, they, they can't even comprehend why sin is wrong to God because they, they don't get that knowledge until they're saved. Um, so it's a very complicated path to head down, I think. So something I've said in the past, uh, and we can probably 
wind this up with this um, is that all sins are uh, offensive to God and all sins are bad enough to condemn a soul. Any sin is bad enough to condemn a soul, but all sins are not punished equally in this life. All sins were not punished equally under the law. All sins are not equal in intensity. Um, and my interpretation of Romans one is that sexual perversion is the end of sin in a culture that seems to me to be what Romans one is teaching. Is that a fair statement? Do you guys feel like that's an accurate interpretation of Romans one? I'm going to let Bill address that. Oh, you're going to let me go first. (laughs) Well, I do see what you're saying. And I do see that in Romans one, the whole idea of, of what's, what's the worst sin, you know, like, I've had those discussions even with, and I, I like one, one homosexual that I was, was counseling. And again, I think this one was actually uh, back in California. It was a different person and than I mentioned before. And, you know, they wanted to get into, well, what is, you know, I realize I'm doing this and it's bad, but it's not as bad as other types of sin. And so I do remember looking it up and, you know, the, the ones that I see, if you go like Proverbs six, um, talks about, you know, here's the seven abominations. Here's the seven deadly sins. If you want to use that term. Um, and it talks about a proud look. So pride, lying people that shed innocent blood and a heart that devises wicked imaginations. And then there's a few others. And that's, that one right there is the one, you know, for many years and even recently, I, I, uh, Patrick and I were talking about this, I think last week about the possibility of this podcast. And I re looked at that passage and, you know, the, the idea of wicked imaginations. Well, if you look at those words, if you go back into the original language, it's, it's kind of describing like the idea of perversion of what God has put into place changing what God has set and, you know, set as the way things are supposed to be. And that's what you're talking about with homosexuality is it's a twisting of what God designed into something perverse. So it would seem logical again, it would seem that God does say that, you know, you're, you're gonna, you, you are going to pay heavier punishment for participation in that. And then you also can look at Matthew 10, 14 and 15, where Jesus is talking and he, you know, he says, whoever doesn't receive you. And he's talking to his disciples, his, the apostles. And he says, look, somebody doesn't want to listen to you. Shake the dust off your feet, you know, move on, get away from them. If they don't want to listen to, to you talking and giving them the gospel. But then it continues on. It says in verse 15, right after that, it says, It'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. So, again, there's clearly a level issue that, man, it's it's going to be bad for people that reject the gospel. It'll be a step worse than what Sodom and Gomorrah went through. Well, then that clearly means there must be levels. And if you mention Sodom and Gomorrah, that must be like, that must be pretty bad. You know, it, 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 that must be a pretty bad punishment 
So the only, the only one that seems to be worse is a rejection of the gospel. Yeah. Well, let me ask this. What do you think is worse? I don't know if we have any biblical proof or not, but do you think it's worse, a worse sin to be a homosexual or a proclaiming Christian who is teaching that it's okay and promoting it to others? A proclaiming Christian who's teaching that right. it's okay, hands down. Right. Well, and because I think much is given, much is required. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it, is it in Hebrews, Pastor Tally, that it says um, that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of the pride of their sin? Uh, I forget where it's written, but it says um, these were the sins of your sister Sodom. It's a prophecy uh, concerning Judah, I think. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. Neither did they strengthen the hands of the poor and needy. And it re- infers their abominations. Uh, right. I assume that's referring to homosexuality, but he lists four other things before he gets to that. Right. And so if you, you know, if you want a specific one, Patrick, I would go to having pride in your sin, mm. you know, because I think that's what, that's that hardening of the heart. Like when we're, when we're proud and that's what we're seeing in the, in the modern society, it's pride and they even call it gay pride, right? you know, so they're proud of their sin. And, it, and they, again, they're kind of thumbing their nose at conservatives or thumbing their nose at God and saying, come on, yeah. if you're, if you really are going to do something, let's see you do it. Cause we're, we're quite happy what we're doing and you're not going to make us feel ashamed for what we're doing. Yeah. It's almost like defiance is the greatest crime. <laughs> it's, it's almost right. the way that sounds in that context. Well, maybe I'll stop saying it that way. Maybe I'll, just read the scriptures there in Romans one and, and be more careful to what I say. It's definitely an intense judgment against a society that has rejected God. There's no question about that. Correct. And I think you can anecdotally show that mindset throughout history because um, Rome prospered until they started openly accepting homosexuality. Um, and then that's, that's, and there was other things going on, I know, but it, that was the point that Rome started to fall apart was when they turned over to homosexuality and, and, you know, they were doing all sorts of heinous sexual acts with children and everything else. But before that they were conquering and conquering and conquering. And that's, that's just one. I mean, there's other societies that have come and gone and it's, if I, when I remember one of the books I read that was talking about homosexuality in history, and, and that's what they kept pointing out, was many, many societies, many nations have fallen. And it, there is a interesting coincidental time period where they start to accept homosexuality, and then the destruction of that society begins. Well, we need God's power on our lives, uh, mercy and grace for our children and grandchildren and the, and the, the people around us, that God would protect us from temptation and evil, and that he would help us to speak the truth in love, um, not to, uh, not to uh, soft-pedal the truth concerning what sin is and what the solution is. 
and uh, you know, may God give us all grace. I, I don't hate, as far as I can tell in my heart, I don't hate the gay community. I don't hate even those who march in gay, pri gay pride parades. Um, I want them to find Christ. I want them to find peace and forgiveness. I want them to find victory over temptation. Um, I don't even hate Christians who are <laughs> contributing to this lie of Satan, but I'm very disgusted. I'm, I'm definitely not, uh, not okay with believers contributing to Satan's crusade of destruction uh, against humanity. Uh, yep. What I really want is the rapture. That's what I really want. <laughs> yeah. Get us out of here. Uh, any closing thoughts from either one of you? Just, right. I, I guess, reflecting on it like we have, it, it just kind of reemphasizes the sorrow I feel for our, our current society and the path that it seems like it's heading. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys, Patrick and Bill, both for spending an hour with me today. May God bless you both and your families and your ministries down there in hot, sunny Florida. To all of you out there listening on the various podcast platforms, be sure to let others know about this podcast and listen to other episodes as well. Like, share, subscribe, comment, review, etc. We'd love to hear from you if perhaps we said something that was inaccurate or uh, maybe you've got uh, some perspective that we didn't share that should have been shared. Uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you and listen again next time. Until then, may the grace of God be on you and the grit to serve faithfully be in you.